Thank you very much. You make me feel wonderfully welcome. And God said, let there be light. And there was. In fact, there was eternal light, lux eterna. still touches me every time I see that. <clears throat> so that is God's creation. 
and Christians have an obligation to, to protect it. Let me read you some biblical passages. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. For in him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. What I'd like to do is focus on this word dominion, which means to rule or have power over. Essentially what God is doing is delegating authority to man to take care of the earth. And there are possible responses that humans could have to this challenge. One would be a responsible steward. Another would be an accountable caretaker. Or an evil destroyer. Commence primary ignition. Somehow, I don't think that's what God had in mind when we became the caretakers. Now, some people might argue that caring for the earth is essentially earth worship, and I would strongly argue the answer is no. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. If we believe that, then we should protect and value that which he has created. Now I'm going to make an analogy uh, to hopefully illustrate what I mean by protecting the earth. San Francisco arguably is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. But you may know that there are these squatters that are setting up encampments uh, and there are no bathrooms and no porta potties. Now I use this word uh, squatter figuratively, but also literally, because what people are doing is their business right in the streets of San Francisco. Now, you might be aware that San Francisco is the tech capital of the world, so they have a solution to this problem. Uh, it's an app for your cell phone called Snapcrap. And the idea is that if you're walking in San Francisco and see a pile, uh, you designate on your cell phone the GPS coordinates, and that way other people know where to avoid and where the city uh, should clean up. Now, hopefully you find this to be disgusting, yet we don't want to do this to our own planet. Now, since I'm a professor, I have to do a little bit of uh, teaching as, far, as well as lecturing, so we're going to have a biology lesson, uh, and we're going to talk about the gypsy moth. Normally, the gypsy moth population is under control because of predators and disease. Uh, but sometimes it grows, and if the conditions are perfect, you get this outbreak in, in population. 
but eventually something limits that outbreak and causes the population to collapse. Uh, so what might cause it to collapse? One would be starvation. It simply eats all the leaves on the trees and there's no more food. Uh, there can be diseases. There's, there's a virus that infects this uh, worm and dissolves it. You can see it dissolving right in front of your eyes here. Or we have predators such as birds or mice uh, that eat it. So eventually something will happen that limits the population of these gypsy moths. And if you look historically, you can see numerous outbreaks have occurred in Connecticut over the last few decades. All right, so that's the end of the biology lesson. If we take human population, it looks very much like an outbreak. So uh, here are some milestones. In 1815, we crossed the 1 billion mark. And in 1956, we crossed the 2.8 billion mark. Now you might be thinking, what's the significance of that? That's when I was born. So in my lifetime, we've gone from 2.8 billion to about 7.5 billion. Now, something uh, may eventually limit the population, and so what I've done is listed some ideas that I have for what might limit. So let's talk about war first. Uh, if you look at the statistics since World War II, uh, you can see that the death rate by war is actually declining. Now, I'm not saying we're never going to have war and, and maybe we'll have a nuclear war or something absolutely disastrous, but at least the data suggest uh, that fewer and fewer people are dying from war. Uh, well, what about disease? If you look at the uh, life expectancy at birth, you can see that it's a positive slope. Uh, we're pretty good at medicine and so forth, so I think we could argue that we'll probably live uh, long lifespans. Uh, what about starvation? Well, there's something called biointensive agriculture that you practice uh, these things right there, and you have this abundance of food. It turns out that to sustain a single human with a vegan diet requires less than a thousand square feet. So if we said, how much land would it take to support 10 billion people, it turns out to be a square with 600 miles on a side. And if we look at that on the map of the Earth, you see it's or of America, it's roughly the size of Texas, could support the food for the entire planet. And here you see that same area on a map of the Earth. Uh, so we probably are not going to run out of food. In fact, obesity is one of the major problems that we have. <clears throat> uh, well, what about uh, energy? Uh, this is a listing of the fossil fuels in the world, uh, and you can see that conventional oil is actually a very small slice of the pie. If I took all of those energy sources and expressed it as equivalent oil, it's 10,000 cubic miles. To help you visualize that, that's a tank 10 miles by 10 miles and 102 miles tall. Now, we're consuming fossil fuels at a rate of 2.8 cubic miles per year, so we can keep doing this for 36 centuries. So we're not going to run out of energy. Well, what about wastes, in particular the carbon dioxide that comes from the combustion of fossil fuels? What you can see here is a, a graph showing the amount of CO2 emissions every year. It goes up and up and up. And as you would expect, as you emit more CO2, the concentration of CO2 and the atmosphere also goes up and up and up. 
Now, what I've done here is superpose the CO2 concentration, which is the smooth curve, on top of the jagged curve, which is the average global temperature, and you see that they correlate. Now, you may know enough about statistics to know that correlation does not prove causation. Uh, we have to look into it more deeply. Uh, so it turns out that uh, scientists have studied this for a long time, in fact, for almost 200 years. We understand the physics very well. Uh, first, I'm going to introduce these numbers in degrees Fahrenheit. So if we had no carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, uh, the average temperature of the Earth would be minus 2 degrees Fahrenheit. Now I'm going to switch to degrees Celsius. Uh, that same temperature would be minus 19 degrees Celsius. It would be very hard for life to exist on Earth if we had no CO2. Now, in pre-industrial uh, times, the CO2 concentration is about 280 parts per million. You can see that's the, the temperature. And in modern days, uh, uh, it's a, we've had a temperature rise of 1.2 degrees Celsius, and it's projected by 2035 uh, that the temperature rise will be 2 degrees Celsius. Now, what's significant about that? The United Nations says you really shouldn't do that. Uh, the world will be dramatically different with a 2 degrees Celsius warmer uh, than what we're used to. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether climate change is real. I'm here to assure you that it is and I have some data to support my position. Uh, this is the average temperature of the Earth in February of 2016, and what I'm drawing your attention to is the Arctic. The temperature is 11 degrees Celsius warmer than usual. That's 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Now you might say, oh, that's just one instance. No. We did it again in 2018. In fact, it's warmer. It's 12 degrees Celsius warmer than usual. In the Middle East, they've experienced amazingly high temperatures. Dahran, Saudi Arabia, had a heat index of 178 degrees Fahrenheit. If you went outside on that day, you would die. The human body cannot eliminate their body heat at that temperature. You would die if you go outside on that day. Now, what will be the impacts of climate change? Quite a few here. If you attend my course, we'll go into a lot of this in detail. Uh, what I'd like to do is just focus on a few. Uh, floods, this was uh, Texas and uh, Hurricane Harvey. Uh, that flood was a thousand-year flood, uh, and two years prior to that, we had 500-year floods. So the statistic says the probability of three of these events occurring simultaneously, strictly by random chance, is one part in 250 million. That is the same odds as winning the Powerball lottery. We also have the possibility of fires. Uh, some people believe that the fires that were experienced in California were due to global warming. Also, British Columbia had enormous fires this past year. Uh, also, rising ocean levels. Extremely dangerous questions. Because with our present knowledge, we have no idea what would happen. Even now, man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. 
Due to our release through factories and automobiles every year of more than six billion tons of carbon dioxide, which helps air absorb heat from the sun, our atmosphere seems to be getting warmer. This is bad. Well, it's been calculated a few degrees rise in the Earth's temperature would melt the polar ice caps. And if this happens, an inland sea would fill a good portion of the Mississippi Valley. Tourists in glass-bottomed boats would be viewing the drowned towers of Miami through 150 feet of tropical water. Foreign weather were not only dealing with forces of a far greater variety than even the atomic physicist encounters, but with life itself. Now, the reason I like to show this video is if you notice the date was 1958, uh, two years after I was born. So we've known about this problem for a very, very long time. This is not something new. Also, we can have species extinction. Uh, one of the most dramatic examples of that is Australia, the Great Barrier Reef. Roughly half of the coral were destroyed in uh, 2016 and then also again in 2017. is we get as many shots as we can in as many positions of as many pieces of coral as we can and to repeat that every single day imagine your body temperature rises one degree centigrade or two degrees centigrade. Over a period of time, that would be fatal. And that's the seriousness of the issue when you look at it in terms of the ocean. You forget what it looked like at the beginning. And some days when you go back, it's dead as far as you can see. I thought we would find the chain. I thought we would capture it. I don't think I ever prepared myself for the thought we were going to see this. the global patterns of temperature in the ocean so profoundly 
that coral reefs will not be able to keep up, they will not be able to adapt, and we will see the eradication of an entire ecosystem in our lifespan. Everything on our planet is connected. What we're doing is pulling out the card called coral reefs from this house of cards. And the real fear is that we'll take out enough of those cards where the whole thing will just simply collapse. Do we need forests? Do we need trees? Do we need reefs? Or can we just sort of live in the ashes of all of that? Okay, so how might we, we respond to this challenge? And my professional career is devoted to trying to solve this problem. If you want to learn more, come to the class. <clears throat> I don't have time to go through all of this, but what I'm going to do is focus on uh, solar energy as one of the potential solutions. <clears throat> the cost of solar energy has been coming down dramatically. In fact, in many countries, it is the cheapest form of electricity. If we were to try to supply 100% of all the energy in the world with solar, this amount of land area in the Sahara Desert would be sufficient. Uh, so there's an enormous amount of sunlight that it impacts on Earth every day. Now, in order to make this transition to a sustainable, carbon-neutral energy system, this study says we have to spend $3.5 trillion per year for the rest, for the next 35 years. So let's put that into perspective. That represents 4.6% of global GDP. Is that possible? Well, as a reference point, the US spends about 3% of its GDP on defense. So what, basically what we're saying is that you have to spend roughly what the US spends on defense in order to defend the planet against climate change. How are we doing? Well, in 2017, we spent $280 billion, uh, which is nice, but it's only 8% of what we need to do. Well, why this delay? Why, why aren't we taking the charge and moving forward? Well, uh, there's a lot of politics involved, particularly in a democracy like our country, which I love the democracy, but what it means is everybody has to agree. Uh, you can see that in terms of whether people believe in human-caused climate change, uh, the U.S. is the lowest in the world, and among white evangelicals, it's the lowest of the U.S. population. Only 28% uh, believe that. And uh, the white evangelicals have a huge impact on, on politics. Now, what might be the immediate impact of climate change? The canary in the uh, mine is often considered to be Bangladesh. You can see that this country has a lot of low-lying areas that are really just a few meters above sea level. Uh, they already experience uh, enormous flooding events. Uh, so what's expected as the ocean levels rise, that about 15 million people will become climate migrants. They have to go somewhere else because the land they live on now is simply in inhabitable. So the morality of this is as follows. Truly, I tell you, 
Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If we believe this, we have to act. Thank you.